1: Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm so delighted that you've decided to join us. We're getting closer and closer to spring, but winter is not over yet. We're going to have some more chilly nights. And we talked about that last week, making sure that we're keeping a check on the weather the best we can. Of course, it's just predictions, <laughs> but don't get too crazy with uh looking for vegetable plants and annual flowering plants just yet now you can start growing some of those indoors where it's nice and warm but remember many of the annual plants that we grow throughout summer they they can't handle a lot of cold weather and so getting into the low 40s and maybe even low 30s for a few hours a few days a few nights can be detrimental. And another aspect is that the ground is not warm yet. The soil is not warmed up yet. So we want to keep a check not just on the weather above the earth, but also the weather below the earth. Uh, It doesn't mean, though, that you can't plant shrubs and trees and perennials, things that can handle the cool. They'll be just fine. But let's not let spring fever get the best of us just yet. Let's let spring actually get here before we get that contagious disease called Spring Fever. We've been cooped up all winter. It's been cold and rainy and wet, but we've had some really nice days, and that's going to cause that spring fever to start itching. We don't want to scratch it just yet. We've got to make sure that we're in the clear. And remember, folks, in our area, really the month of April is when we see our average last frost. Some folks who are gardening in North Georgia, extreme North Georgia, this will be later, but generally April 15th, the middle of April, has been our historical average last frost date. that means we could have a frost before April 15th, we could have a frost after April 15th. But looking at the weather, Things seem manageable. Looking at the predictions, things seem manager, manageable. Maybe this month in, in March, we're actually going to be in the 33s. Hopefully it stays that because that's, that's, that's decent. It's not freezing, just right above. still going to be cold to us, but don't go out and buy a lot of annual plants. You may see them at the box stores, the big garden centers that just ship things from all over the place. And of course, they're just looking for a sale. But we got to make sure you're dealing with your local landscape supplier, um, garden center, local nursery, because they're going to be the ones who are watching the weather. They want to make sure that their crops um, do not get damaged. And also, they want you to be successful. At least I hope they do. So be sure to uh, not let spring fever get the best of you, but we can take this time to prepare ourselves for spring, prepare our gardens for spring, uh, and start getting some ideas, some new ideas on things to uh, start doing. And last week, we had our Q&A week. Remember, the last Saturday of every month, we go to the mailbag, mailbox, inbox, message board, whatever, uh, Facebook and Instagram, we find your questions and we answer uh, what we can. And... We pretty much dedicated last week to one question and one question alone. And I think that it was a good reminder to me that we should be talking about this topic. And that, course, is the topic of growing flowers to cut so you can bring them inside. We're actually growing a plant. Uh, the idea of growing cut flowers is we're growing a plant to allow it to produce its beautiful flowering inflorescences. <laughs> and then we actually harvest those Flowers, that is the purpose of that plant. You know, and many times in the landscape, we're growing things to fill space and to provide color and textures in the landscape itself, and they stay there. Uh, And then in other parts of the garden, we're growing plants to harvest fruits. Uh, So the vegetable garden and the apple orchard, the pear orchard, uh, any kind of productive plant that produces a tasty fruit or vegetable if you will (laughs) uh, that they have a purpose but we've never really talked extensively about growing flowers for cutting and I think that that uh, idea it's been around as long as gardening has been like I said last week but I think that in more modern times we have uh, some, some resurgence of that. Uh, A new desire to grow plants that are strictly grown for their flowers, and so we can remove those stems with flowers on the tips from the plant, bring those stems with their flowers inside, arrange them in a beautiful vase, a beautiful vase, and put those on display. So last week uh, we sort of had a little intro to cut flowers, some of the general characteristics of plants uh, that you might use to grow for cut flowers and then we started talking more details about growing a very easy plant uh, easily started from seed has just maybe a few concerns as far as pests go and that's the zinnia the zinnia or zinnia however you want to say it there's two ends in there zinnia and those are those beautiful and mostly large flowering plants Uh, and sometimes these flowers on zinnias can be up to six inches wide in diameter, and some are small and petite. And that right there gives you a variety of different size flowers. But zinnia relatively easy to grow, and we talked all the details about that on last week's program. So be sure if you're interested in growing cut flowers, zinnia will be the first thing you I would recommend you to start growing. And you can find that show uh, from last week online at New Southern Garden. Dot .com and of course you can also find it on any of your favorite podcasting apps i think we're generally on most of them so apple uh apple podcast google play music and then there's soundcloud stitcher tune in the tune in radio app is a wonderful app that i should mention briefly of course the tune in uh, w- will supply you with some podcasts, but TuneIn Radio also allows you to listen to your favorite station right here, WRWH, in Cleveland, Georgia, anytime, as long as you have an internet connection. So if you're in an area, uh, maybe you're going to be traveling, you'll be away, and you can't pick up the station on the radio, well, you can pick up the station over the internet on the TuneIn app. So be sure to listen to all the great programming here on your hometown radio, WRWH 93.9 FM, on the TuneIn app on any of your smart devices. So this week, we're going to continue this conversation because there's several plants that make wonderful cut flowers. But it's not just necessarily for the cut flowers. Any of these plants can be grown in a landscape uh, for enjoyment in the landscape. You don't necessarily have to grow these plants uh, to cut, but they happen to make great cut flowers. And so this week, we're going to dive into the details of growing, growing dahlia. Dahlia, of course, is that it's a very versatile group of of plants. There are many hybrids, and those are the ones that really uh, take the gardens by storm but the dahlia, like the zinnia, is very genetically diverse. Now, that means that one dahlia may look nothing like another dahlia. You can have tiny, small dahlias. We'll talk about sizes of those later, and then you can have very large dahlias, but then there are many different forms of dahlia, and I'll describe a few of those and definitely uh, point out my favorite dahlia forms for you so that you can get the most unique flower ever. Now, the beautiful thing about dahlias is they're easy to acquire like zinnia uh Unlike zinnia, most dahlia is grown by its tubers. So you're buying roots and you're planting those, not necessarily seed. However, you can, and we'll talk more about the details on propagating them, growing them. But you can start dahlia from seed very quickly, very easily. It puts a little uh, delay in their bloom time. But still, growing dahlia from seed, harvesting your own seed, and saving them for the next year. Dahlias are just a wonderful group of plants. They make great landscape plants. Uh, almost perennial we'll talk about why they're almost perennial Uh, but you can definitely use them in your cut flower displays or you can just leave them on their plants and allow them to bloom and fill your garden with those wonderful summertime blossoms now a little bit of the history about dahlia Uh, even though there are about 20 different species of dahlia it's none of the species that really are used in the landscape or in the cut flower trade it's mainly the hybrids in between those those species and that is part of the reason why There are so many different colors, so many different forms, so many different sizes. There's just so much genetics there uh, that have been hybridized. But dahlias are originally found in Central and South America. And they do have a long history of cultivation, but not necessarily because of their gorgeous flowers. You see, The Aztec Indians uh, in Central and South America, they were using dahlia as a very important crop. Now, most, what we understand at least, is that the dahlia was probably used to feed animals. Just like we grow corn or beans uh, and we feed our animals these things, they were probably growing dahlia, this To us, a beautiful garden plant, they were using it for an agricultural food source. And then there is some indications that the Aztecs might have been using this to treat urinary disorders. Now, let me explain that a little bit. So, the word for dahlia in Aztec translates to water pipes. And that is why they were probably used as a urinary treatment. You see, there was this old thing called the Doctrine of Signatures, The doctrine of signatures. And it was this very old belief that if a plant, a certain part of the plant, the stem, the leaf, maybe the root, maybe the flower, if a certain part of the plant looked like a human organ or a human part of the body, then of course they thought that it could be used, that plant could be used to treat certain disorders in that part of the human body. Of course, this is not real science. It was just something sort of like an old wives' tale, right? Something that may not be true, but was broadly believed. Of course, there's the pulmonaria plant that looks like a human lung, and people used pulmonaria leaves a beautiful garden plant, but they use the leaves to treat pulmonary diseases or pulmonary issues. And so with that in mind, of course, this is not why we grow dahlia today. We don't grow dahlia because it appears to have water pipes, the stems are very hollow, and they don't necessarily treat urinary disorders. I would say let's stick with growing dahlias because they're beautiful landscape plants and they make great cut flowers. So, of course, there's all of these different uh, species and varieties. Most of them are sort of herbaceous, meaning that their leaves die down in the winter, and then they resurrect from the ground um, for the spring. But there is a tree dahlia. There is a tree dahlia that you might see in modern gardens, and we do think that there is a certain variety of dahlia, that we call the Aztec dahlia. Uh, It's got double purple flowers, and you may come across those. Um, But really, we're not talking about the tree dahlias. We're going to talk about those dahlias that are going to uh, produce new foliage every year, and they don't build a woody structure like a shrub would. Now, Dahlias naturally have this tendency to hybridize, and breeders in the 19th century, they took that to their full advantage because they were deriving new hybrids just from chance seedlings, seedlings that just happened to cross uh, with other plants. They were growing them out, and they started to realize, wow, this is pretty wild. We can get all new forms and different varieties. And so throughout Europe and into the United States, this passion for dahlias grew into the 1840s. The passion grew so much that it sort of matched the tulip mania of the 17th century. Uh, in other words, back in the 17th century, people were hybridizing tulips, and tulips became a, uh, an investment. They, they were not just a commodity, but they were actually prized like gold or silver. They, people were storing them and buying them for these exub- exorbitant prices and high, in- I and mean, it just caused this big inflation, too. Of course, that bubble burst, but to some degree, In the 1840s, the dahlia became very similar. You had high prices for these things, and there was an intensity in the market of buying dahlias. So not just the fact that these dahlias are beautiful landscape plants, but they do go back to nearly prehistory, I guess. And so we see that these dahlias have had a long relationship with the human, uh, that we have been growing them, we have been hybridizing them, and been utilizing them for one purpose or another. But today, we're going to talk about using dahlias in the landscape, and mainly so that we can cut and remove the flowers so we can enjoy them indoors. So when we get back from this quick break, we're going to dive deep into uh, the types, the, some varieties, some of the sizes, the shapes, and how to grow them, and of course, maybe what to do after you've cut them off of the plant. Hang on tight. More on growing dahlias in your landscape. all the way, no Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the New Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share, whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at newsoutherngarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our contact us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. Today on New Southern Garden, we're continuing our discussion on growing flowers, growing plants that are going to make wonderful cut flowers. Now, of course, that simply means that you're growing a plant to harvest the flowers on tall, straight stems so that they can be put into a vase and enjoyed indoors for a certain period of time. Last week we talked about zinnias, and of course, that show, if you'd like to listen to how to grow zinnias, has cut flowers. You can find it online at newsoutherngarden.com and your Facebook, uh, Facebook, well, it's there too, on your podcasting apps. But more specifically today, we are talking about growing down. And dahlias are these wonderful plants, we've already discussed a little bit of their history, how the Aztec Indians, uh, because dahlias originate in Central and South America, the Aztec Indians actually use them to feed their animals with. But today we don't necessarily do that. Uh, The the, the dahlia has a thick, fleshy tuber that's produced in one season, and those tubers can be replanted year after year if they are uh, stored well, and you can have more dahlia plants. They're easy to divide, easy to grow your numbers of. Of course, these can be started from seed, but the beautiful thing about dahlias is that they're so genetically diverse they've got a strong group of genes that mix and hybridize and cross with each other naturally and so today you know we see the most dahlias anybody ever has uh since humans have been cultivating dahlias and there are so many different flower forms different sizes of flowers and different colors let's talk about some of the sizes of dahlias you will find so from the smallest dahlia bloom we call that a pom-pom a pom-pom and it's just a round cluster small tight round cluster of petals very beautiful but small uh these things uh, the pompon styles may be up to two inches in diameter and then you go into the ball size and medium sizes which just incrementally get larger Uh, but those would be things that were over three and a half inches Uh, and so you see we go from maybe less than two inches to three and a half inches and some of the largest dahlias are called the giant dahlias and the giant dahlias could have blossoms that are ten inches or larger in diameter. So depending on the look you're going for, depending on the kind of uh, of bouquets you're working to build, you may want a variety of these sizes. And dahlias are quite diverse in the size of blossom that they can produce. They're also very diverse in the type of blossom or the form of the blossom. Of course, you have these tight round things that are called the ponpons. Uh, They're really clustered. They're a full double. They've got so many petals. Some of them are nearly perfect looking like they were painted by an artist. But then there are the more decorative forms, which aren't quite as ponpon looking. Their petals are a bit longer, maybe a bit more pointed. And then there are the informal types. The informal decorative peonies are very loose. They're petals are broad there's space between the petals where the ponpons. pons there's no space between the petals are all clustered tight touching each other um, but then you also have the singles now the singles are very easy to come by uh, there's plenty of of, of sources uh, you can find them online, of course, you can find them at um, maybe your your local garden center, uh, but also the box stores, they sell them in little baggies, right? <laughs> you've seen that if you've been shopping for plants uh, at the box stores, but then you've got the peony styles. And the peonies look a lot like a peony flower. Even though they're definitely dahlias, the flower form that tends to look like a peony is given that name. There's even maybe some more unusual ones that are called orchid because the petals are they're lengthy but they're sort of curled together and they look very spiky like and so that's a completely different uh and unusual kind one of my favorite forms though is going to be the cactus now there's subgroups of that there's semi cactus straight cactus and incurved cactus but generally the cactus it looks like a cactus flower very thin petals that are kind of curled up together and they're just clustered together and so they look like a um a, a, a shaggy, I don't know what it looks like, Uh, just a shaggy group of of petals all clustered together. Very, very beautiful. And then you might find um, sort of one called the colorette. The colorette is cute because it's got a row of single petals around the outside of the flower, and right in the center are some shortened petals uh, that kind of give you um, that uh, bowl of butter look you know you've got a bowl and a pile of butter in the middle uh, that's a really pretty form the collarette. and then there's the anemone the anemone um, looks like an anemone flower which has sort of these petals hanging downward and right in the center center is a cluster of really tight smaller petals usually of maybe some kind of, of, of different color and so with all of that being said um, you've got a number of styles of peonies to uh, peonies of dahlias to look for and you've got a number of sizes to look for now the colors that peony comes in uh, can be very bright very saturated very intense and then they can also be subdued colors or muted tones one um, uh, one example of course is like the pinks so think about the uh, rich vibrant hot pink well the dahlias they've got it but then think about a soft muted nearly white pink and they've got that as well but you will find pinks and reds oranges yellows purples whites everything in between Um, I guess to some degree the only color you don't get with the dahlias is going to be blue a true blue. Now, there's some purple ones that people may call blue, but just be on the lookout that it is not necessarily going to be a vibrant, true blue. Now, when it comes to growing your dahlias, you know, you can get lost in the varieties and types. You can look for pages and pages of catalogs and online resources. And of course, uh, you can shop around locally and see what might be available. So you can get lost in the number of variety. But generally, we're going to treat them the same when we actually plant them into the, nursery, into the ground beds and to the planting beds that you created for them. First of all, dahlias need sun. They don't just need sun, but they need sunny, warm weather. They love the sun. They don't mind it hot at all. Remember, the dahlia is coming from that part of the world, Central and South America, where winter is almost non-existent. It's warm all the time. So make sure when you're placing your dahlias in your garden, in your landscape, to find a spot that gets at least six hours of direct sunlight each day at least six hours but they can definitely handle more if you plant dahlias like i have in the past when i was a kid i just liked to grow things we didn't have a lot of sun we had a lot of shade and i tried to grow dahlias in the shade you will produce a plant that is leggy and reaching for light they will try to get tall and thin and they won't bloom abundantly as they possibly could So be sure they get sun and they get plenty of warm weather. Now, fertile soil. The soil you plant your dahlias in needs to be rich. It needs to be rich. And it's always a good idea to send a soil sample off to the University of Georgia, which is through your county extension, cooperative extension office. And for just about $8, they can tell you what that soil will need in order to grow a dahlia and to grow it well. But remember, using loads of amendments compost organic matter manures whatever maybe some bone meal blood meal uh in the organic world you've got kelp uh you may or may not need lime but the university of georgia soil report will tell you if you do and so the idea is that you don't need to just plant it uh in what natural soil we have. Use the natural soil as a base, but be sure to enrich the soil as much as possible because these plants are going to be plants that love to bloom and bloom heavily and abundantly. They're also... Going to need a soil that can support that. Now when it comes to space, um, if you're planting them in rows, a three foot row is very good idea, and you can ro- do a double row within that, spacing them uh, about uh, one and a half feet apart or so. Now of course that could be variable depending on the type of dahlia that you're growing. If you're looking to grow a dahlia that's very large, uh, maybe it gets four feet wide. Well you might give it a little space but Uh, When we get back from this break, we'll talk about the support that they need to hold their blooms up. And if you space them closer, they will actually help support each other, keeping their blooms upright and off of the ground. So, spacing about uh, using a three foot bed and a double row right in the middle of that is a good place to start. When we get back, more on growing dahlias for your cut garden. Hang on tight. Well, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we're talking about growing more cut flowers for your cut flower garden. And one of the uh, a second easiest. Last week, we talked about probably the easiest flower to grow, which is the Zinnia. But maybe the second easiest is Cosmos. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's going to be next week. Dahlias. Dahlias is going to be another easy-to-grow despite some of the pest issues that we're gonna discuss later. Uh, Dahlias are those large to small sized flowers full of petals. There's singles, there's doubles, there's triple doubles. There's all kinds of flower forms and different sizes of blossoms you can choose from. But before the break, we were talking um, about spacing your plants, that if you keep them planted uh, somewhere between one and a half to two feet apart, then that will give them enough space to grow, but it will also help them grow together to help support them because especially if you're growing a very large flowering dahlia that flower is going to be heavy and even though the stems are strong most likely it's going to start leaning and tilting and maybe hitting the ground and then you've lost all the beautifulness of the flower uh, once it gets stuck with soil and mud and whatever else is crawling on the ground so with that in mind uh, spacing between one and a half to two feet in a three-foot bed or so is is probably plenty of room for that plant now when it actually comes to planting your dahlias there are a number of ways to do that of course probably the first uh, to think about because the tubers of dahlias are very easy to, uh, to find uh, they're sort of like a sweet potato uh, it's a large tuber that of course has an eye it has an eyes on one end and roots on the other of this tuber. So the critical thing when you're planting a dahlia tuber is going to be dig a hole that's four to six inches deep, that's plenty deep enough, and then lay this tuber horizontally with the growing eye, if you can see it, facing up. And then you can cover that with soil. And of course, once you've planted, you may want to label it as whatever you bought it as. So when the flower starts blooming, you will know which flower uh, that dahlia actually is. Dahlia's, da- growing dahlias from tubers is probably the most common way. However, If you have dahlias that are already growing, say sometime in the summer, you can actually make cuttings from the stems of your dahlias and root them and make more of them. Now, those two ways, those two ways of growing a dahlia from either the tuber or from a cutting is going to produce a plant that looks exactly like the mother. But there is one more way to grow and plant a dahlia, uh, and that is by seed using dahlia seed to produce a plant that then develops these large tubers and can be divided once the growing season is over. But growing a dahlia from seed is actually going to produce a variety of flowers. There is a slim chance that seed that was saved from a certain type of dahlia will actually produce new plants that look just like that dahlia. Now, With growing dahlias from seed, this is a great way, an easy way, for people to cross them, to hybridize them, to make new and different and unusual flowers. Dahlias are so, just like zinnias, are so easy to hybridize and cross that you could start out with a few types of dahlia, save the seed, and in a few years you could have your own collection of dahlia that no one has ever seen before. And so I think that this is one of the Uh, One of the most creative things about growing certain plants is being able to save their seed and produce different varieties, essentially different types. And so if you plant a dahlia from a seed and you happen to like its beautiful blossom, maybe it's larger or maybe it's got a different color or variegated, uh, variegated petals, some unique feature, then you can actually save the tubers from that particular plant over winter and continue to grow it next year so the main difference between growing a dahlia from a tuber uh, or a rooted cutting and then seed is that the rooted cutting and the da- and the tuber will produce an exact genetic identical plant to its mother but Seedling-grown dahlias are not going to look like their mother. So keep that in mind. So now that we've planted our dahlia, what's the first thing we need to do? Well, if you are growing them from tubers, don't water them immediately upon planting. Don't water them immediately upon planting. Just wait until you see green coming out of the soil to water them. If we water dahlias um, as soon as we plant them and there's no green at all, sometimes they tend to rot. So this is one case where we would not recommend to plant something and water it immediately, okay? So with that in mind, wait until you've got active growth going on and you can start watering it then. Beyond that, um, the idea about watering dahlias is water them at the ground level. Do not use a sprinkler. Do not use uh, something that is throwing water onto the leaves and the flowers. If you got a lot of dahlias um, or any cut flowers, using a drip irrigation, a soaker hose, running something along the top of the ground that's going to ease water and slowly release water rather than casting water and throwing water onto the leaves and the stems. Of course, any extra water on plants' leaves and flower buds can Either degrade the flower uh, or encourage disease to start going. Now, with that in mind, you should probably water your dahlias deeply once per week, unless we're getting plenty of rain. Unless we're getting getting plenty of rain. If we're going through a dry spell, dahlias coming from that part of the world where of course it's Hot and wet, um, they are going to need as much water as you possibly can, and that will just keep them growing and producing flowers uh, uh, week after week. Now, just like zinnias, one of the most critical things you have to do in order to produce a slurry of flowers, just an abundance of flowers, is pinch your plants back. If you want those long, strong stems, being sure to pinch back your plant is one of the most important techniques. become familiarized with now this is going to encourage by pinching a plant back it's going to encourage the plant to produce more branches near the base now that's going to increase the total number of flowering stems and also is going to encourage longer stem growth once your plants are between 8 and 12 inches in height use a sharp pair of pruners and snip the top three to four inches off of the plant now that's nearly about half the plant But don't worry, if you do that just above a set of leaves, that's going to cause the plant to send up multiple stems from below your cut, and you're going to have an abundant flower production. Now, sometimes pinching a plant back, trimming a plant, seems a bit counterintuitive, but Since you are removing what would be a flower stem, it's going to result in many more usable flower stems over the course of the season. And that also helps to prevent the plant from developing those large hollow stems, which of course can become as big as broom handles and nearly impossible to use in a vase. So we want to keep fleshy, uh, strong growth rather than very hard, large, thick Like we said, broom handle growth on your dahlia stems. Now, we did mention we need to talk a bit about staking because we're continuing to talk about how to grow these dahlias in your landscape and in your cut flower gardens. And the idea is that um, spacing your plants appropriately, spacing them kind of tight, but not too tight that they just uh, harbor a lot of moisture between the plants. Um, If you space them tight, that's going to help keep your plants, your flowers vertical. But there are surely going to be certain stems that don't have support from other plants. So there's two ways around staking dahlias, and the first is not the ideal in my In my opinion. But the first would be to use bamboo canes or any kind of strong cane you can find uh, or stick and individually stake the flower stems where they need the support. But then you're stuck with a lot of stems and a lot of, of tying up of the plants. But you can also take a large group of plants or a large row of your dahlias and corral them. You can use the corralling method, which in my idea, or my opinion, is better than individually staking stems. The idea is that you would space um, every 10 feet or so. For a small space, you may go half that, uh, 5 to 8 feet. But for every, say, 5 to 10 feet, you place a strong stake. You could use the T-post like you would find in a fencing department at the tractor store uh, or the farm store. But you use a strong uh, stake of some kind every 5 feet along the edge of your planting. And do that on both sides of your row. And then you will take string or wire and about every 12 inches, you will tie a wire in between those stakes and Corral your blooms in. So if there are any stems that try to flop left or right, they will be corralled with your strong uh, wire or string. Now, to me, that is a lot easier because you don't need as many stakes. You may want something that's more durable than, say, a bamboo cane, but of course, something that is strong and thick uh, will be fine. It doesn't have to be a metal post. But regardless, all you're doing is, as the plants are growing, you are adding another layer about every 12 inches of a string or a wire along your staking system and corralling. You're just grouping them together so that they cannot flop out uh, onto the ground. Now, in addition to growing dahlias, uh, probably later today we'll talk about some specific types or varieties. I'll give you a few of my top favorites. But, In addition to staking and watering and whatnot, uh, we're going to also be dealing with some disease issues. And the disease issues are going to be uh, mm, not necessarily numerous, but there are a few things to be on the lookout for. Probably one of the worst things you could possibly get is a bacterial disease that Dahlia is accustomed to called crown gall. Now, it's identified by this bumpy cauliflower-like growth around the neck of the tuber. Now, unfortunately... There's no treatment for this bacterial disease. So we have to throw those tubers away, uh, throw away any infected plants, any tubers, or the bacteria will spread to your other dahlia plants. Anything that you may have used, like garden tools that have come into contact with your dahlia, sanitize it with uh, rubbing alcohol or a bleach water solution. Now, there are some viral diseases that dahlias get, and Again, it's the same result. We have to throw those away. There are no uh, controls for a viral outbreak in dahlias. Then there are the fungal diseases. These are the ones that you're more likely to uh, see in your landscape. You're going to see powdery mildew, botrytis, leaf spots, uh, and maybe some smut, which is spread by airborne spores, unfortunately. But the best way to prevent these fungal diseases is going to be allowing the plants to have good airflow. So we don't want our plants spaced right on top of each other, but maybe up to a couple of feet apart. That'll help increase airflow. And proper care with watering. Like I've already mentioned, don't let... um, Don't let water rest on the leaves or the petals. Be sure that water is being applied at the soil, at the root level of the plant, which is really exactly where they need it. And then, of course, um, we want to keep our garden free of any disease debris. If you do have some dahlias that are showing the powdery mildew or certain other fungal diseases, be sure to remove those things and burn them, put them in a a bag and send them to the landfill. Get them off of your property. Do not use those infected leaves in compost. Do not save those things. Now, I know we don't have much time uh, before the next break, but there are going to be some insect problems. Problems. And of course, slugs and snails are probably the biggest, but you can treat the area where your dahlias grow with a product called iron phosphate. Uh, usually, you can lay this out uh, around the uh, roots of the plant, and when the snails and slugs come in contact with it, uh, they don't make it to the plant. It is an organic product, it's just iron phosphate, naturally occurring uh, compound. When we get back, more issues you may have with your dahlias. Hang on tight. Well, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we're talking about growing dahlias in your landscape, growing dahlias in your garden, so that you can harvest the flowers and bring them indoors and enjoy them, not just outside, but also in your indoor spaces, your indoor rooms. And so before the break, we were talking about some issues that do come along with dahlias. Just like anything in the landscape, there's always some kind of pest, some kind of pest. Now, I'm not going to say that deer are not a pest because they very well could be. Um, So be sure to protect your uh, cut flower gardens, no matter what flowers you're growing, sunflowers, they love those, uh, from deer. But we were actually talking about small pests. We've already talked about some diseases and how to prevent those and what to do. Uh, with that but then the larger pests like the insects snails and slugs are going to love dahlias and we talked about using iron phosphate which is a organic product it's just a naturally occurring compound that uh, does control snails and slugs usually it's in a A pelletized form so it's easy to sprinkle around the base of your plants and in between your rows so that when snails and slugs are creeping and crawling on the ground uh, they actually don't make it to the beautiful dahlia plant you're trying to grow now Aphids. Okay, folks, I deal with aphids on a daily basis at the nursery. They, they go for almost anything. Of course, that's at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. Um, but there are, of course, chemical options to control aphids, but then there are some great organic options to control aphids. Uh, One of the first places to start is with an organic product called insecticidal soap. Now, insecticidal soap is going to be sprayed... If you can apply it to the buds and the leaves during the coolest parts of the day, that's probably ideal. Uh, using soap on plants during the hottest parts of the day is probably not the best way to go. It may do a little damage to the plant itself. But if you spray that on there, it will smother. It will smother the aphids And they will not be a problem. Um, Then, of course, Japanese beetles. Of course, that was an issue for our zinnias last week. And Japanese beetles are going to become a problem. They're here in the South. If you're listening to us in another part of the world and don't have Japanese beetles yet, you're lucky. Uh, But, of course, um, they're going to be in a particularly interesting individual to deal with we talked about you know do you use traps on Japanese beetles we talked about that last week and kind of the same thing goes it, the traps have a bait that actually attracts Japanese beetles uh, some will fall in but some may get sidetracked and on their way to the trap they may start eating your plants so there are some, com- uh, some um, chemical options and organic options to control uh, this type of beetle Uh, They're just harder to control. I will tell you that one of the things, it's going to be gross. One of the things that makes me happiest when I see Japanese beetles is to grab them and pick them off and destroy them. Now, of course, you can go around picking off Japanese beetles one by one and throwing them into a, a bucket of soapy, warm, soapy water, and they will die that way. Yes, we are talking about eliminating these pests. Now, of course, if you have lawn... Lawn spaces, uh, Japanese beetles usually uh, complete part of their life cycle in your lawn, underground. They're they're grubs. And so controlling them before they become adults may be a good option as well. Of course, if you're in a neighborhood or a community, uh, you may not be able to treat every lawn space that is nearby you. But at least you're doing your part on trying to decrease the number of Japanese beetles. Um, Now, I know we were, I don't think we're going to have time to talk about specific varieties. There are so many. Just go online, do a Google search, uh, go to some online suppliers, online breeders, and look for some of these. They're so diverse from the whites, the yellows, the pinks, the oranges, the purples, the reds. The colors are just outstanding and the flower forms are wonderful. So I don't want to dwell too much on that. What I do want to talk about is, of course, since we're going to grow these dahlias as a cut flower, what do we need to do? What are the steps to harvest your cut flower and to make sure that the cut flower stays Looking good as long as we probably can. Now, you've got to harvest. The first step is to harvest at the right stage and the time of day. Dahlias do not unfurl much once they've been harvested. So if you remove a tight flower bud, it will stay a tight flower bud. So it's most important to cut them when they're almost fully open. Now, there's a few varieties that there may be some exceptions. But generally, when the flower is almost open, essentially think of it this way. If you like the way the flower looks now, remove it because it will almost stay that way until it starts to wilt and and, and finally die. Uh, You don't want to wait till they're overly ripe, though. If they have on the backside of their flower heads, if they have um, papery or dehydrated petals, that flower has gone too far. The petals on the backside of the flower still need to be firm, lush, and full of moisture. Now, you do want to cut long stems. The longer the stem, the better, because you're going to be using this in an arrangement in a vase, and that way uh, you can get the most out of the height of this flower that you possibly can. So go for a stem length that is at least 12 to 15 inches uh, in length, and that will be very good. Now, if you're timid and you cut short, 6 to 8 inches, over time you'll find that the Subsequent flowers are going to be born on shorter, weaker stems. So if you want to keep your stems tall and straight, when you remove a flower, cut it way down into the plant. Uh, Cut it towards the base because that is going to result in more flowers that are straight and tall and easy to work with. Another key factor when harvesting dahlias, really like any cut flower garden uh, plant, is pick them regularly. Pick them regularly. If you're growing them for yourself uh, and you're going to use them in the house, obviously you're not going to be able to use every single flower out there. So whether you need to uh, use them in the house or not, go ahead and cut them. If you let your flower flower heads go to seed then you will have reduced flower production. So be sure when you're cutting flowers for yourself, harvest some for your neighbors and your friends. And then any flower that has gone to seed and has produced a dead head, right? No more petals. They're trying to produce seed. Remove those immediately remove those constantly. Now, after you're harvesting your dahlias and you're preparing your stems, be sure to remove any leaves from the lower half of the stems. This is going to help with two things. First of all, it's going to minimize wilting because there's less foliage on the cut stem. So you can rehydrate that flower bud uh, faster. And then number two, it also helps the flowers drink because the leaves that are submerged in water um, are going to, the leaves that if you, if you submerge leaves in water, they're going to decay very quickly, and that's going to encourage bacteria. So make sure anything that goes in the water no longer has leaves. And then there's this idea of letting the cut stem recover. If you harvest at the right time of day, your dahlias are going to be well hydrated. That's going to be harvesting them in the morning when they're most full of vigor, right before the sun comes up. And then you want to let your harvested blooms rest. So you let them sort of get a, an initial drink after uh, the shock of being cut and maybe allow that to happen for um, a, a few minutes, uh, maybe a couple of hours, and then you can start moving and playing with them and making a beautiful arrangement. Now, with that in mind, you do want to use a flower preservative or flower food. Um, that's going to help keep them blooming much longer because uh, that's going to be the key. Really, dahlias are probably going to look good in a vase from seven maybe ten days about like a zinnia but if you do all of these steps you'll keep your flowers looking better and better so this weekend think about bringing in some dahlias into your landscape look them up but only plant after the danger of frost has passed for new southern garden and wrwh my name is nathan wilson i hope you stay well and grow well see you next week Uh